Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The Word of God says this. Paul says, After 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they may bring us back into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, for God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, the uncircumcised are non-Jews, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised or the Jews, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, who is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Let's pray. Gracious and loving, eternal, heavenly Father. We bow before you with great reverence. Understanding that the words that I just read are not man's words. Ultimately, they are your words. They are God-breathed. And so work the miracle today of helping us hear your heart through these words. Continue to change us and help us, God, to know the beauty of the real gospel. To cling to it, to savor it, to love it, and to walk in its implications day in and day out. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' good name. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. So this section of Galatians is still part of Paul's autobiography Dealing with a meeting that happened in Jerusalem between Paul and and some of the other apostles. And the false teachers that had kind of infiltrated the church were claiming that Paul was teaching a different gospel than that of the other twelve apostles who were in Jerusalem. So Paul is using this part of his story, this meeting, to validate that in fact the gospel that he's preaching, the gospel that comes to us by faith is in fact the same gospel that the other apostles are preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem. So I want to begin, if you're taking notes, by pointing out Paul's fear. Because Paul was kind of a man's man. He was on death row under the emperor Nero and didn't blink an eye. And you can read that in 2 Timothy. I mean, he's a, he's a strong man. He's not a man that walk, who walked around in fear, but he's... Concerned here so much that he would go all the way to Jerusalem again after being there 14 years ago for this meeting. 
So why would Paul be fearful? Well, number one, Paul was fearful because he was concerned for his converts. The new believers, that he had gone and he had evangelized throughout southern uh, Asia Minor there. Many, many converts had come to the Lord. These uh, Galatians had come to the Lord. And now false teachers are coming in behind him. And what are they doing? They're leading them astray. And he says, these doctrines that they're teaching to desert the true gospel is to desert God himself. How many know that's a big deal? And so I I want you to feel the weight of this. I feel the weight of this. Let me give you a modern day example. We've had many people saved. uh, Well over a hundred people in the three years since I've been here have been saved um, through, through different ministries of our church. And I have some of these new Christians. They'll come up to me and they'll say, Oh, Pastor, I was watching TVN this week. And then immediately my antennas kind of go up and I'm... I start to kind of tremble a little bit. And I'm not saying that every preacher that's on TBN is bad. But let's just say that just because you hear a preacher stand behind the pulpit and mention Jesus every once in a while does not mean that he's giving you the whole truth. And I've seen some people, and I myself at one time was led astray by some really bad teaching. And so I feel the weight of this. Paul, he's not in the place where he can just call them on the cell phone and tell them what's up. He's not in a place where he could just shoot him an email. So he's writing this epistle and he doesn't know immediately how they're going to receive it. He's writing the Galatians saying, oh, you've got to, to, to stop listening to these false teachers. And so I, I want to just rabbit trail here. I just want to, I want to give you this and just implore you, please be careful, beloved, who you listen to, because not everybody is telling you the truth. There are a lot of false doctrines that are very close to heresy, and I'm not here to call out a specific person this morning, but I've heard uh, just just in, in talking that there are some, some people who, who, who listen, new Christians especially, that's what worries me the most, to some things that probably would lead you astray. And so that's the weight, first of all, of what Paul is feeling. But there's a, a second concern as well. And that's not with his converts, but that's with the other apostles. His fear was not that the apostles had a different gospel. He knew they had the real gospel. But what he was, was fearful of was that they would somehow succumb to the pressure of the Jewish community around them. And he would say something like this. Well, you know, these other apostles would be like, well, it's no big deal. Come on, it's who cares if they want to be circumcised? Who cares if they're teaching other people to do that? They still believe in Jesus. No big deal, right? Who cares if they're being told they have to convert to some form of Judaism plus believe in Christ? Well, it is a big deal. It changes the gospel. And it's interesting to me and motivating to me. It makes me feel a little better about myself. It's good that even the apostles felt this struggle. Even the apostles felt this struggle to succumb to pressure. I was preaching at the halfway house this morning and I told them, I said, you know, you guys in here, when you walk out of here, it is going to be every, it's going to take everything you have within you to live out your faith. Because you're going to be called weak if you're humble. 
You're going to be called, you know, a sissy. And and I can't say the rest of the words from here that they would be called. And they're like, we feel the weight of that. We understand what you're talking about. If we don't stand up for ourselves, we'll get taken advantage of. You know, even as a pastor at times, it, it has been tempting for me to say... You know, from somebody walking out of the church because they don't agree with something I've said. It's tempting to go, well, maybe I just won't say this this morning. But if it's truth, we can't be man pleasers. You and I have got to be God pleasers. We can't be both. And I made up my mind a while back and said, Lord, I don't want anybody to walk out of our church. I don't want anybody to leave. It breaks my heart. But if I'm preaching truth and it costs me somebody, so be it. I will preach the truth to the day I die. Like it or not, you're going to get the truth. And the truth is tough at times. It's not always popular. And so Paul was afraid that that, that being steeped in this uh, traditional Judaism that, that and being just surrounded by devout Jews who believed that you had to convert, not just believe in Christ, but to be in right standing with God, you had to kind of succumb to Jewish law as well. Paul was scared to death that they were just going to say, yeah, it's okay. And then they would have a divided church. He was afraid that they were not going to stand up against the false teacher. So, I would just encourage you. I, I know the pressures of this world. I, I mean, we, we live in a very secular society today. More, more than ever in our country. Even non-Christians used to somewhat act like They had Christian values 50 years ago. Friends, it's not the way. Most Christians don't have Christian values. Come on, somebody. And so, there is a lot of pressure on us because if you live out biblical values, you will be called narrow-minded. You will be called closed-minded. You will be called an elitist. You will be, uh, I mean, they will say all kinds of things about you. But I just want to remind somebody what Jesus said. He said they persecuted me and they persecuted the prophets before you and they will persecute you as well. But he said blessed are those who are persecuted and reviled for my name. It's a good thing when when, when you are, are persecuted for your faith. And so may we be reminded that there's a lot at stake. You and I do not need to succumb to the pressures of this secular world. We're to be strangers and we're to be pilgrims. I'm not saying that we walk around like we're higher and mightier than everybody else. No, we walk around with the greatest humility. But we walk according to the Word of God and we preach according to the Word of God. Like it or not, world. Not worrying about what the Today Show says or CNN or whoever. We don't care. And we're not trying to be militant. It's just the truth. And there is a lot at stake. We've got to cling to the truth. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about what was really at stake here. If the meeting in Jerusalem would have went the opposite way, if, if Peter and the rest of the apostles would have said, listen, we don't care about what these teachers, or these, these other teachers are teaching. It's fine. We would have had a divided church. We would have had a divided church. Secondly, we're going to look at the church's future. On one side of the argument, the Apostle Paul is teaching the pure, unadulterated gospel. 
that we are saved. I'll say it again over and over until it's ingrained into your hearts and minds. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And his claim is that this gospel is for all peoples, Jews and Gentiles alike. But then on the other side, you have the false teachers claiming that essentially you to be saved, you must believe in Christ and become a Jewish proselyte. And I love how uh, Timothy Keller puts this in his commentary. He says that they were saying that not all Jewish people are Christians, but all Christians must become Jews. So if the apostles in Jerusalem would have refused to stand up against these false teachers, our church service would look a little bit different today, a lot different. But see, I love how the gospel is so inclusive. There's room for cultural differences. It says, the real gospel says that any person from any nation of any social status, rich or poor, male or female, Jew or Gentile, can be saved. You can become part of the family of God without having to change your culture. Because you don't become Jewish, you become a citizen of heaven. If you want to talk about a changed culture, don't live as if you were a Jew. Live as if you were a citizen of heaven. Christians, see, we're often accused of being exclusive, but the gospel's inclusive. I love what he says in Galatians 3.28. We'll deal with this in a couple weeks in depth. But he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. But I love the gospel because I can preach it to anybody, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been. The crown at the foot of the cross is level. That's incredible. We serve an awesome God. And this inclusiveness of the gospel is really what was at stake. You would have had a divided church. You would have had the Jewish church and the Gentiles church. And and the the Gentile church would think that the Jews aren't saved because they're preaching a false gospel. And the Jewish church would have preached that the Gentiles aren't saved because they're adhering to a different gospel. But aren't you thankful that years and centuries ago that the apostles made the right decision and that they clung to the real gospel? You know, there's a, a danger in, in denominations, I believe. If we're not careful, we can make people feel like they not only to have, need to have faith in Christ, but they also must be Assemblies of God, or Church of God, or Baptist, or Presbyterian, or Church, you know, the Pentecostal Church of God. Even non-denominational churches have become a denomination. So, if we're not careful, we'll we'll try to get people to succumb to our cultural differences. This church is is very, very different than the church I grew up with. But I don't think that those people are any less saved than me. Because they don't have this type of worship. Because their preacher doesn't get as excited as I do. Whatever. Because one has pews and one has chairs or... That's, that's, those are cultural preferences. And, and I know that, that in denominations, it's more, more than different cultures. I know that there are some different beliefs, but many of the beliefs that we're divided over are, are minor doctrines. And I, and I wish that we could get together and work those minor doctrines out because ultimately we forget 
that we're not part of the Assemblies of God Church or the Baptist Church or the Presbyterian Church or the Church of God Church. We're part of the Capital C Church. And that's the church in which the gates of hell will never prevail against. You need to remember that. And so I'm grateful that, that the apostles came together because this would have been a huge division if it would have gone the other way. Now it was crucial that Paul and Barnabas took Titus along to this meeting because Titus was a Greek Christian that had not been circumcised and Titus was essentially a test case. So Paul brings Titus along to this meeting in Jerusalem essentially to prove or it, this is where the rubber meets the road. I, okay, Peter and the other apostles, you guys talk a good game. You say you believe that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Let me bring Titus along with me and see when the Jews around you are saying he must be circumcised to be part of the church. How are you going to respond? So this was a test case. So what happened? Look at verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Now this is huge. By God's grace, the unity of the church was preserved. We read things like this and we just skip over them without giving them much thought. But we're here today, part of the capital C church, because by His grace, the unity of the church was preserved. And so as non-Jewish believers, we don't have to feel like second class citizens when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. We don't have to succumb to cultural preferences in order to be saved. The purity of the gospel was protected. The message remained that Christianity is about who I am in Christ, not what I can do to earn God's approval. That's huge. So what was the purpose then of the Old Testament circumcision and ceremonial laws? Well, they were done before God. They were, they were given in part to show how impossible it is to make ourselves acceptable before a holy God. They had all these laws, all these rules, all these regula- regulations that nobody could keep perfectly. To show how impossible it is to earn God's approval. And it was looking forward. These laws always look forward in the Old Testament to Jesus Christ in the New. Who is the fulfillment of the law. I'm going to read you Colossians 1, 22. It says that Christ is now reconciled in His body of the flesh by His death in order to present you. Here it is. Holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. You don't need circumcision. You don't need any other type of cleansing in order to be made right and holy and blameless before God. Christ took care of it at Calvary. Hallelujah. It's powerful. We need to remember that. that, Do you understand why this is such a big deal? Because if we say, if we add anything to the gospel, we're saying, Jesus, that horrible death that you died, it just wasn't enough. And the implications are huge. Changes everything. You don't get this, you don't get Christianity. It's not about dressing a certain way or keeping a certain ritual that makes us acceptable. We're found acceptable only in Christ Jesus. And here's why we ought to rejoice 
in the outcome of this meeting. Here's what it ultimately means. It means that we really are free in Jesus. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So let's talk about thirdly, our freedom. See, when the the gospel's distorted to make it a salvation by works, it is our freedom. I want you to understand that's at stake. Look at verse 4. Because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom. There's people that want you to be miserable just like them. Misery loves company. You need to look at somebody and tell them, I'm free in Christ, like it or not. I'm not going back to the law. So he says that they slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, I love this, we did not yield in submission for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you and to us today. See, when we add rules and regulations to the gospel to earn acceptance before God, we're putting ourselves and others in slavery. Works-based Christianity presses people to conform to outward rules and regulations. And we see this very strong in this area in our country. An example, not only do you have to put faith in Christ, but you're no, lo- allowed to, you're no longer allowed to go to movies. And ladies, you have to wear a skirt to the floor or you're not acceptable before God. And don't you dare wear makeup or you're not acceptable before God. And if that's your personal conviction, fine. But when we teach that you have to succumb to certain preferences, outward conforming, to get God's approval, friends, we are on dangerous grounds. So if the false teachers in Paul's day would have had their way, every Gentile believer would have had to become culturally Jewish. And we even today would have to set up little Jewish subcultures all around the city. We couldn't be Americans at all. We'd be so disconnected from our communities. Is that freedom? No, it's, it's slavery. Don't misunderstand our freedom. The freedom is not, do whatever you want, it doesn't matter. No, that's not a heart that's been changed by grace. We're still, the, the, the Ten Commandments are, are repeated in the New Testament. Matter of fact, Jesus raises the standard. It's not just don't commit adultery. It's don't lust after a woman. It's not don't just kill. Don't hate your brother. So Jesus raises the standard. But the motive is completely different. We're not trying to Stay on God's good side. That's not our motive. We're not trying to earn His approval. That's not our motive. We've been saved by grace through faith in Christ. And our motive for serving Him is all we've had hearts that have been changed by grace. His law is now written on our hearts. And we are bent towards the will and the ways of God. And we want to serve Him because we love Him because He first loved us. So it's the same thing, but totally different motives. So to quote Keller one more time, his commentary, he says, Both the false teachers and Paul told Christians to obey the Ten Commandments, but for totally different reasons and motives. And unless your motive for obeying God's law is the grace-gratitude motive of the gospel, you are in slavery. The gospel provides freedom culturally and emotionally. The other gospel destroys both. When you're living under that other gospel, 
Let me tell you how you feel. You constantly feel like you're in bondage. That oh, if I drink this, or if I eat this certain type of food, or if I wear this certain type of dress, He might kick me out. He might not love me. He might not accept me. It's slavery. Our motive for the gospel, our motive to live a life that's blood-glorifying is not to earn something. It's the grace, gratitude motive of the gospel. To say He saved me by His grace. Why would you? You know, people say, Pastor, if you preach this, which, by the way, it's the Bible. Paul preached it. If you preach this, then people will just use it as a license to do whatever they want. And my argument is always... What Jesus said, turn from me, you do ever iniquity, I never, iniquity, I never knew you. You don't know him. Because to know him is to love him. To have a saving relationship with him is to, is to love him. Why in the world somebody who would lay down their life, somebody who is innocent nonetheless, that we have spit on and mocked metaphorically over and over and over again. What person, what man, what woman, boy or girl, would want to trample the blood of that person by sinning openly. I want to serve him, as Chris mentioned during offering. It's not, we don't have a debtor's ethic to where we're trying to pay God back. Because day by day, we're still, we're, we're saved by grace through faith and we're kept by grace through faith. So every day I go deeper into the pool of grace. I could never, I, every time I try to do a good work, that good work was done by grace. So I haven't paid back anything. I've not made one mark on my bill. I'm just deeper. It's grace by grace by grace. Day by day, I go deeper and deeper and deeper in debt. So we're not trying to pay back. No. We love Him. We love Him. We want to glorify Him. He's changed our lives. That's the motive. Now, I'm so excited about this. I, I prayed Friday morning. I finished with my sermon. And I looked all over the internet for some kind of illustration that's just going to drive home what we've been talking about. I couldn't find anything. So I said, God, I need something to make our hearts. You know, Jesus taught often in parables. I said, I need something to be able to help us grasp the differences in these two Gospels. And so, I sat down on my computer and just began typing. And so, I want to ask you this very quick. I want to ask you for your full attention because I think this is going to drive home everything that we've talked about. I'll call this the tale of two wives. One is the wife who was married to the law. And one... Grace. Do I have your attention? Everybody nod your head at me. Number one, we'll talk about the gospel of salvation by works. There was a woman who married way out of her league. She often says fearfully to herself, Today may be the day that her husband wakes up and sees he could do so much better than me. He always seems dissatisfied, so 
She does everything she can to earn His approval. With the hopes that He might stay just another day. And so she works hard to be the perfect wife because at any moment He may stop loving her or worse, even abandon her. So day by day, she cooks, she cleans, she smiles often, acting happy. She earns money, she dresses nicely, fixing herself up for Him every day. Meets His needs in any way possible, hoping that she doesn't mess up, lest He throw her by the wayside. She has good days and bad days, but... There are often times when she falls short. Though she hides it well, she feels the weight of never feeling quite good enough. And every once in a while she says the wrong thing or she doesn't perfectly iron her husband's shirt or doesn't get the kid's mess cleaned up before he gets home from work. Just last night, she overcooked dinner. She tried to fix it before he returned home, but she couldn't get to the store and back in time to cook another meal. He walked in the door. Immediately he spelt the burnt food. And she knew she'd mess up. She had messed up. He'd worked hard all day and now he had to come home and couldn't even enjoy a decent meal. He gave her the silent treatment. No kiss, no hello. He just sat there all evening and she begged him for mercy. He didn't answer. They went to bed and he quickly fell asleep with out as much as a good night. Tears streamed down her face as she lay next to him. She beat herself up all night. She thought, I don't deserve him. How could she serve him better? She thought to herself, I wonder if he'll still be there in the morning. And so she resolved to work extra hard tomorrow to make up for her mishap today. And hopefully they'll be married yet another day. That's how so many people see God. Scared to mess up because what if He abandons me? And they lay in bed at night, their hearts ripped apart because they don't know there's no security, no assurance. Let me quickly give you the wife. This is salvation by grace. There's another woman who was swept off her feet by a man who she's now married to. She couldn't believe that he even looked her way, much less that he would take her as his bride. She's far from perfect. She came from a rough background and fell into the street life herself. She's been around man to man. She felt used and abused. and He never has made her feel bad about this. He accepted her just the way she was. She has a list of failures that she's not proud of, but her husband never even brings these things up. See, she didn't grow up in a, in a normal household. She doesn't even know what a normal house would look like. She never learned to cook or to clean and has no idea how to be a mother. Nor does she have any idea how to be a wife. She practically raised herself. She loves her husband though. She wants to do things for him. She loves to see him happy. Just yesterday, she attempted to make him his favorite meal. But she overcooked the meat and the vegetables and the rolls. 
Somebody like, were you at my house for dinner last night? When her husband arrived home, he was gracious in spite of the mishap. He kissed her on her head and thanked her for trying to make this special meal. And then he went out to a local restaurant, her favorite Chinese food, and brought it back so that she could eat. They had a good laugh as they looked at each other, viewing the burnt food on the counter. He helped her clean up and they went off to bed for the night. She laid next to her husband. She felt secure knowing that even through all her failures, he would be there tomorrow. And she thinks, I'm going to be the best wife and mother I can possibly be because he loves me so much. That's the gospel. You see the difference? You see the difference. The implications are huge. Some of you feel like you're married to a God in which there's no security. You feel like you're saved by a God who may abandon you tomorrow because maybe that's the experience you've had in your life from people who are supposed to love you. Or, or maybe it's what you've been taught growing up. And they told you that if you don't dress a certain way and act a certain way, that God will never accept you. And so you better keep the rules. You better behave or you're going to burn. Anybody grow up with that kind of a gospel? And I ask you, is that freedom? Is that freedom? Both wives of these stories want to serve their husbands want to do good things, but for completely different motives. One is to earn affection. The other is because she has his affection. Oh. Nothing you do today can make you love God love you an ounce more. And nothing you do today or tomorrow can make God love you an ounce less. Never earn his so, if you are living by this other gospel and you feel daily that I have to keep myself, I have to keep myself in God's good grace. I have to keep, no. This is a daily trust walk. We're saved by grace through faith. We're kept by grace through faith. And His promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The word forsake, powerful word, means abandoned. I'll never abandon you. I don't know how parents abandon their children. That's what we got in our minds because that does happen. So we think that, well, maybe God will abandon me. No, friend. He'll never abandon you. Do you have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? I want you to stand to your feet. If you need prayer for any reason, I want to invite you to come down. But if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would love the honor of praying with you today. I want to invite you down for, for prayer. And if somebody sitting next to you needs the Lord, walk down with them and uh, we'll all pray together. Let's pray right now. God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness, for saving us by grace. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to go home tonight and wonder because we had a mishap of 
whether or not we're loved by you. We don't have to try today to earn your approval. We're not in church to earn your approval. We're here because we love you and we adore you. And so God, right now, I pray for the one that may not know you today or the one who does know you but is living as if they were under a gospel of works, a salvation by works. We want our freedom. We want to walk in the freedom that Christ purchased. So help us to be free in Jesus today. We pray this in His name. Amen.